Our guest is Tom Conway. Mr. Conway is International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, the USW. And as VP, he has led the union's efforts to enforce trade laws, targeting unfairly traded, subsidized, and dumped products, directing the union's work with the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM, and you know them. He collaborates with employers and lawmakers to support American industry and jobs. More than a pleasure to have on the program, Mr. Conway, International Vice President of the United Steelworkers. Mr. Conway, thank you for taking the time and joining us on this Friday. Oh, no problem, Leslie. I'm happy to be here. Um, I want to talk about some things that are going on. A lot of people look at, you know, G20, or they look at Putin, or they look at Russia, and they look at Trump. But there are various things that are going on that don't always make the headlines and that Americans aren't always hearing about and the president isn't always tweeting about. Uh, the Department of Commerce has been examining and continue to examine uh, the damage caused by unfairly traded steel and aluminum imports in support of the administration section 232 investigation. So first off, so folks know, can you share with our listeners what are section 232 investigations and why are they needed? Look, th that section of the trade law, 232, specifically authorizes the government to take a look at the impact of traded goods into our country on our national defense capabilities. And and then you got to sort of define what that means. What does it mean for national defense? So it would apparently steel would rank right up there. You think of, well, people build battleships, they build tanks, they need steel. Any nation in order to defend itself needs steel. But from our perspective, it goes much broader than that, and it goes beyond it. And your national defense should include your national infrastructure and your ability to move your equipment around your country. And do you have stable systems and roads and bridges? And do you have stable electrical grids and backups? And is your water systems and your energy systems protected? And if all those things are subject to imported steel coming in in order for you to have a solid national inf national defense infrastructure, then they should be included in a, in a broad approach to this 232. And the 232 is necessary because we've had a history now since the age of globalization and the advent of the WTO and all the trade laws of lack of enforcement. And, and it's not through lack of trying. And there have been numerous cases that have been brought by the steel workers, by country, by companies that we have members employed at, and generally we prevail in these cases. But they take so long to do, they take so long for a case to get through the process, to, to meet all the challenges, and then it's just circumvention. And so you can win a case in one aspect of a product, and they move it to another country. They move a few molecules around in the manufacturing of it, and you have to start all over again. And so trade has been fundamentally a broken system, and it's you know resulted in a, a big trade deficit for the U.S. year after year after year, six, seven, eight hundred billion dollars each year. And so this 232 can be designed, if done right by this president, to take a broad look at America's critical infrastructure and its ability to meet its national defense needs on materials like steel and aluminum 
and where we have hollowed out those those industries in the U.S. to take a look at, at how smart that is and what we need to do to build them back up. And that's that's what's been going on here, and it's, and it's an important initiative. And and hopefully this administration can sort it out both amongst themselves and going forward and to deal with the rest of the world in these issues. This Trade Expansion Act is from 1962, and the section that we're talking about, the uh, 232 investigation, I'm glad that you brought this up, because, Mr. Conway, I think people forget that steel and aluminum are not just about infrastructure and stronger, uh, you know, uh, roads and bridges and, and even buildings. Um, but, you know, you mentioned, and I think Americans need to be aware of, national security. If, if things continue to go the way they're going right now, we're down to one aluminum company, Smelter, left in the United States, who can supply the quality level aluminum we need for the F-35 um, Strike Force fighter, America's newest aircraft weapon. And... And the other sources in the world are predominantly out of the Middle East and Saudi Arabia, out of out of Iceland to a degree, out of Russia, and out of China. So if the U.S. finds itself with a need to build up its, its own air forces and navies, the sources for aluminum could very well be the Mideast, Russia, and China. And I guess we could ask them, hey, would you send us some aluminum? But it seems to me that America's strength and backbone isn't that sort of a reliance on those kind of countries to deliver this. Now, we have had good relations and good trade relations with Canada and North America historically and have been able to rely on them, and they're a good source of good, high-quality materials. And this isn't about... You know, all nations in the world, there is an overcapacity issue out of China, and China continues to violate the laws it said it would bind itself by when it entered this WTO arrangement. And and it, it really just needs to come to an end. When we look at past administrations versus this administration, um, do you see uh, differences, whether it's the one prior or either, you know, or even administrations, you know, before the last? Well... Look, there are certainly differences in rhetoric. Whether or not they will play themselves out to be real differences is yet to be seen. And from our perspective, this 232 is an important indicator of that and whether or not this administration is serious or it's going to fall back into the same patterns as some of the past ones. Under the past Obama administration, there were a lot of enforcement initiatives brought forward, both by industries and the union and, and the government. And the government filed a case at the WTO over aluminum, the Obama government. And the Trump administration has has initiated this 232 study. So it would seem that there is a seriousness about the trade issues here. It certainly Trump ran on that. And um, and we'll see how serious he is. Up to this point, the things that he's said about trade really have not resulted in in anything very tangible. It's just sort of talk about it. But this this will be very telling as to whether this administration is serious about trying to solve this really American problem, or it's it was 
campaign rhetoric and and it's going to go the way of I'm not going to take your Medicaid. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to watch, and we're watching it very closely. Um, as you guys should, and we count on you for that, and, you know, we trust that you do this. So we're talking about an issue of trade law, enforcement of trade law, and like you heard Mr. Conway say, this is needed to establish fair competition and ensure national security interest. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about the willingness for American factories and American workers with regard to uh, competition, especially when it comes to manufacturing, and also talk about nations like China, which make it very difficult to level the playing field when it's not fair, especially on their end of things. Tom Conway is International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, the USW. Check out the website for USW, USW.org. On Twitter, follow them at Steelworkers, and follow President Leo Girard at USW Blogger. Back with Mr. Conway and you right after this. You have questions or comments, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Don't go away. We are talking with Mr. Tom Conway, International Vice President of the United Steelworkers Union, the USW. And we are talking about American workers are seeking enforcement, not protection, specifically when it comes to the Trade Expansion Act of 1962 and the administration's Section 232 investigations of that act. Uh, Mr. Conway, thank you for holding a welcome back. I want to talk about willingness from American factories and workers because, look, in talking to you guys and talking to Scott Paul at AAM and just, you know, reading all of the information, American factories and workers seem more than willing to compete, especially when it comes to manufacturing. But you, you can't do that when the playing field is uneven. And is it fair to say that China created this uneven playing field um, basically by uh, cheating when it comes to trade? China is one of many nations, but I think they stand head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to trade cheating as a nation. Yeah. Yeah, look, Americans understand our system, and our system of trade goes back to the foundation of our nation. And no one, you know, they say, well, you're protectionist if you try and do something about trade. But when you're getting gutted and hollowed out by a system that's not working for you, it's not protectionism. It's just really common sense. And so having a balance in trade is important. And you trade with a country who has something you want, and you trade something they need, and it works out. And and that's the way trade is supposed to work. But when year over year, for two decades, you're running a trade imbalance that is $800 billion a year, you then suffer. And America has suffered under these trade regimes. And, and, and China specifically has grown as an export nation. And that's what they intend to do. China's interest isn't really in a profit motivation. China's interest is in keeping people working so they're not standing around in Tiananmen Square trying to throw the government out of office. So they really don't care how much they make off of this. They care how much they're making. And and in in the period from 2011 to 2015, China increased their primary aluminum production capacity by more than 40%, despite a declining global price in aluminum. So when the world price of aluminum is coming down for a host of reasons, and you're increasing it by nearly 
50%, half of what you can do. You're doing one thing. You're just putting it out there on the global market to suppress global prices, and you are it's predatory pricing. You're driving people out of business. That is a violation of those rules. And that overcapacity in their commodities, in aluminum and in steel, is what is causing this global trouble everywhere. So this China's capacity to do that has to be reined in. And, you know, there's a lot of forums and a lot of people, and the G20 is meeting this week, and they're having a discussion about it. And the Chinese aren't very forthcoming with how much they're making and how much they're selling it for, and they don't tell the rest of the world what they're doing, but they continue to do it, and they continue to violate the laws. And steel alone, we've gotten... 28 tariffs against them where it was proven that they dumped or they subsidized their product and they illegally brought it into the market here and we got a tariff against it. But but that's a very expensive job for a lot of lawyers to do on a daily basis when really we need an overarching solution. So China's overcapacity and their willingness to ignore the agreements they made are, are largely driving this problem. I, I want to talk about so many aspects of this, um, and, and specifically the number of cases against trade law violators that U.S. manufacturers and unions and you guys, the USW, um, have have filed. Um, you guys almost always win these. It's almost a shame that you have to keep filing and that, you know, our government doesn't just do the right thing when it comes to uh, Americans, American workers, and American manufacturing, which we used to lead the world in. Yeah, it's a frustrating system, and there are a handful of people who are making a lot of money and getting very rich off of this, because if you're not paying an aluminum worker or a steel worker in the U.S. $25 an hour to do his job, but you're instead paying $10 a day, $12 a day in China, those people who are, who are living off of that labor arbitrage are making a lot of money. And then when you couple that with the fact that that the emissions, the carbon that's generated in Chinese steel production is three and a half times more than you do here in the U.S. It's not a good solution for anyone. It's not a good solution for the environment, for the panic, for the workers, for the communities they live in. And just continuing to ignore that and play this game of catch us when we move and play this whack-a-mole game with trade enforcement is just got to come to an end because America can't afford to continue to allow it much longer. Well, right now, the United States has 28 separate tariffs on a variety of Chinese steel products. Beginning of the year, January, it filed a complaint with the World Trade Organization about China's aluminum policies. Talk to us about free trade and what that has done to hundreds of small American towns. I mean, the people, and in, in especially, you know, middle class, working class individuals in America, um, you know, ha have depended on factories, many of which are now closed, and mills as well, uh, to in employ them and um, to pay municipal taxes. Um, so is it fair to say that free trade has devastated uh, small and middle America? Look, since the 90s, the late 90s, um, this this system of trade is where permanent normal trade relations were reached with China and, um, and in some instances the rest of the world, but in large part China. 
America has lost 60,000 factories. And those factories were all over our country and all through our heartland. And so you now can drive through towns where there was one predominant manufacturing company, and that generated, for every job in there, generated another four or five jobs in the communities. It's a dry cleaner, the restaurant. It supported the schools. It supported the services and fire and police. When that's hollowed out and gone, all that's left is plywood on the windows and the businesses that are shut down and the factory sits and becomes a movie prop in some movie where people are running around a, a destroyed factory. And that story is repeated throughout America over and over and over. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Mr. Conway's good. He heard the music and he said, got a break. Going to stop talking for a second. Mr. Tom Conway is our guest. We will be back with him and you right after this. We are back. Glad to have him with us. He is International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, the USW, Mr. Tom Conway. Mr. Conway, thank you for holding and uh, welcome back. Okay. One of the problems, and I think one of the reasons that Donald Trump was elected, even though he's guilty of this uh, with his uh, Trump uh, products, so many that are made overseas, is American companies that go overseas uh, to make products. And certainly that's great for people overseas to get jobs and, and for foreign countries and to line pockets of CEOs. Um, but that devastates American workers and American communities. Um, talk to us about Alcoa and uh, companies like Alcoa and what happens um, to uh, the American worker, to a community. And, you know, further speaking on that devastation we touched upon before the break. Well, look, it's not as if um, American corporations don't have a role in this. And and if you look into a lot of these companies who have put a factory offshore and are sending material back here, 60% of them originated here. So you take the investment that was made here, you take the research and development, and you take the intellectual property, and you go move your factory somewhere else, and you leave in your wake all this devastation in that community. But you then insist that you have a right to ship that product back in here. And we see that play out constantly on a daily basis in America. And and it really is fundamentally something needs to get done about that. We saw that during the last presidential campaign. You know, Trump made a big play about carrier. And as it turns out, not nearly what they said they were going to accomplish is being accomplished. But there's a company who's making furnaces and moving to Mexico. And people people sort of get the idea that they're making air conditioners. That's not what that factory made. So they're not going to sell a lot of furnaces in Mexico. They're all coming back here. And there's going to be a lot of job loss in Indiana as a result of that. And it, it was mitigated a little bit by the state of Indiana giving them a lot of money in order to sort of get through the campaign. But that's a one-off thing. And and it happens. it's happening miles from that plant, and it's happening across the country. So American companies here, there's no longer much of a sense of any economic patriotism that, well, I'm an American-based company, I'm going to do America, I'm going to work with Americans in this community and build products here and sell them here. And, um, and so it, it, it's really a dilemma. 
and needs to be part of this discussion about when a company moves offshore, do you just allow them to then use the laws that, that they're subverting to ship those products back in? And, and American companies haven't been honest actors in this thing to a large part. Now, some of them are, and some, frankly, just get squeezed and have no other opportunity. If you're a small to mid-level manufacturer and you're getting squeezed out by Chinese or other products that aren't fairly traded in your market, you probably don't have the wherewithal to go hire a law firm in Washington, D.C., and scrape together the couple of millions of dollars it's going to need for you to bring that case to force something to happen when the government won't step in and do it. And it's and if you think about it, it's kind of the only set of laws where you got to fund it and prosecute it on your own. And then if you win it and you get a tariff, someone else collects the tariff. I mean, it is really a difficult system for a lot of people. And you sort of sit and say to yourself, well, how did you get here? How did you go from losing 14 or 15 smelters in America down to four or five? But in order to win these cases, you've got to demonstrate injury and material injury and harm to yourself. And and oftentimes the standard under the law is if you haven't been shut down and you haven't gone through these layoffs and you haven't had a massive loss and, and hit to your profits and your ability to run your company, then you haven't shown the injury. So you've got to sort of show blood before you can before you can prosecute your case, and then you've got a couple of years at best to to win that. So it's really a very difficult system, and and it requires an honest look at is this what our country wants to do to allow our countries to move off and and really chase the cheapest labor and environmental standards they can find in the world and then ship it back here. Um, and eventually you get to the point where, uh, you know, people say, well, you get cheap goods from imports. Well, as cheap as they can get, if you don't have a job, it doesn't matter. And we are eventually finding ourselves quickly where America doesn't have those kind of decent-paying, family-sustaining jobs that that you can buy those products with. I uh, wanted to talk about uh, the president being overseas uh, for the G20. Um, he seems to have considered a hard line on Chinese steel uh, in advance of the summit. As a matter of fact, he announced that he had called on South Korea to, quote, stop enabling the export of dumped steel uh, last Friday. Then at the beginning of the week, he sent out a warning on Twitter making clear that the issue remains top of mind, quote, really great numbers on jobs and economy. Things are starting to kick in now, and we have just begun. He wrote, don't like steel and aluminum dumping. Um, it seems that the administration under the president have been reviewing the effect of steel imports on America's economy and on national security, as we discussed a bit earlier. Is this tough talk and tough uh, tweeting and, and not enough action? And is, is the president that should lead by example with the, the companies that bear his name? Look, this is this is something you can't do in in. 140 characters in a tweet. This is very complicated stuff, and it and it has global implications. and And no one should be naive about how complex trade is, what it means to our country, what it means to our allies, what it means in the world. So it needs to be done thoughtfully, and it needs to be done 
um, with a lot of background, a lot of understanding. But America has had that had that going on for a long time. That knowledge is there. And so the argument is really between people who want to continue to do this because they're making a lot of money at it and people who want to do the right thing because you want to rebuild a, a working class in America who can make a living making things in America. So, you know, we all watch his tweets every day, and 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 we know that there is a discussion going on within the administration and from some sectors of the Congress that are saying, be careful, you're going to start a trade war. Um, I think a lot of that is just overblown, and it's trying to preserve the status quo, and the status quo isn't working for the country. So, you know, we'll see if he's serious about his tweets. Um, some of them are just complete nonsense. But there is a core group of people we believe in the White House who understand that this is an important fight to carry forward, and hopefully they prevail on this president to do the right thing. So, you know, we're we're watching it every day as well. But, you know, South Korea, for example, um, built a system of pipes to enable to ship pipes and tubes into America, into what's called our oil country tubular goods, our, our markets for natural gas and oil. And they don't drill an ounce over there. There's not a foot of drill pipe that they use. It is all designed to come here. And it has shut down shops from Ohio to Texas to Alabama. Um, throughout that sector of the market, when America is becoming more energy independent and we ought to be able to supply our own piping systems and distribution, it's coming in from South Korea. And so I think that approach there is the right focus. Now, whether they stick with it and stand up to it is going to be, you know, another challenge, and we'll see. And, and um you know, the right political solution here. I've never understood why someone decided they were going to run for Congress and then stand up for China. And so if you ran as an American politician, I think you ran to to protect and to look out for America's interests. And, and um, you know, remains to be seen if, if, if that's real. He certainly could send the right example by his own businesses and what he's done and his practices and his imports and how he fills with his hotels with imported products and materials. Um, so, you know, getting something out of both sides of a politician's mouth is an exactly novel for us. I, I also, there's just so much to talk about with regard, you know, to this issue. And this is obviously a big issue. We saw, you know, Bernie Sanders, quite frankly, build a lot of momentum uh, talking about, you know, no TPP and and bad trade deals and what this has done and bringing jobs back. Um, We had a good jobs report that came out today, but this still doesn't address jobs that have been lost, especially manufacturing jobs and and jobs that are really needed by the blue collar, middle class, working class uh, individual in this country. Um, What steps would you like to see the president take in order to, you know, show that this is not just lip service and in order to show good faith, but but also to come up with a plan that is, um, you know, probable for a future for success for the majority of Americans, which are the American working class. 
Look, if your focus is you're going to cut taxes for people, you, you want to do something as far as the tax policy, give a company a, an incentive, a tax incentive, to move back to America and to set their factory up here. And so move out of the locations you've moved into and come back here and make your earnings here and make your business here and build that as part of this country. You could do something very specific. And then for the ones who decide, well, they're going to go somewhere else, you should penalize them on the products that they want to bring back in because they found these cheap and dirty ways to make them. And so there's a lot of things you could do to bolster manufacturing from a tax policy standpoint um, and, and not be chasing regulations about whether people are forced to work in bad situations. I mean, if, if America as a policy decides, well, they're allowed to work unsafe in China, so I've got to get rid of my OSHA regulations because that's what's causing this imbalance. That's nonsense. And and we ought to have safe and helpful workplaces for people and a series of laws that are enforceable over that. But oftentimes, this party in, in power, and hopefully not this White House, but it, it, it appears to be, will chase that regulation story as if that's going to make a difference when the difference in economics is this. It's just a wild swing. So I think you can incent people to come do business here and build their factories here and disincent those who would move offshore and do it otherwise. To have uh, tariffs on steel, uh, as the president has talked about and some would say is plotting, uh, one, most of his cabinet seems to be opposed. Not everyone's happy with this, obviously. Importers, one percenters criticize this possible move as protectionism. Explain how they're wrong. Well, you have a cabinet full of rich guys, and a lot of them made a lot of money off of these sort of things. And you have Goldman Sachs as your treasury um, secretary. So it's not surprising that they've become used to this diet of cheap products, and um, and they don't live in this world. They're not Main Street people. They don't get that America is struggling and that American towns and cities are struggling and we're struggling in our cities because of the factories that used to be there and it moved offshore. And so, you know, I guess when you surround yourself with a bunch of people who really have never had to work like that for a living, worry about where their car payments and their house payments or whether they're going to be able to send their kid to school, um, it's not where their interests lie. So it's not surprising that you know that that Washington is in that bubble and thinks that this is all an academic exercise it isn't at all this is a life and death exercise for a lot of people in this nation who get up and go to work every day and just try and live by the rules that they've been created but you can't live by rules that have been rigged against you and this is a rigged system and if everybody if every if if everybody thinks that America having an imbalanced trade deficit of $800 billion a year is such a good idea. Why don't we see these other countries of the world lining up to get like that? No one else is asking for that. No one else in the world is doing what we're doing to ourselves. And, and we've got to bring it to an end some way.
And, and many of the president's supporters work or worked in many industries that are affected by bad trade. And um, you would think that would push him even more so and quicker towards strong action, strong action against China, specifically on steel and aluminum. Mm-hmm. Look, he has, you know, his Secretary of Commerce, we know from past work with him in the steel industry, and we think in spite of his work there, he understands what's going on here. And we think there are a handful of other folks who sort of get this. But clearly there is another side to this administration who thinks um, this is something that that they shouldn't do. And it's... it's uh, it's unfortunate that really the government still is is got so many people in it who think that this is a winning strategy um, when it clearly is not. It's clearly causing harm in America. And by the polling that we've done, our union together with AAM, 87, 89% of America does not think trade, as it's currently practiced, is working good for Americans, for their communities, for their families, but um, but America's political class continues to push it, and that and that's in both parties. Um, the Democrats did a very bad job about talking about this trade, about talking to these communities. Um, you can look at where the election struggled and was lost in 2016, and and there was a vacuum on that question and. And they need to sort of open their eyes about that and decide that they are, in fact, going to be a party that supports a working class and and a unionized America and move forward. Thank you, Mr. Conway. We appreciate you being with us today and taking the time. So much to talk about, so much more to learn, and you can learn a lot from the USW website. Go to the USW website, usw.org. On Twitter, follow the Steelworkers, at Steelworkers. And follow President Leo Girard on Twitter as well, at USW Blogger. Tom Conway is International Vice President of the United Steelworkers Union. We will keep you abreast of what is going on with regard to national security, our infrastructure, aluminum, steel, China, and more with the USW and the AAM in the months ahead.